What is up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Bleeding BNG Podcast, episode 51. So I'm not going to be long at all, guys, but remember, it is draft season, so we're going to keep the festive mood going in terms of our draft coverage, in terms of our draft coverage. So today, our question is, does Washington go defense at 11? Does Washington go defense at 11? So I want to give you a timestamp as I do for every episode. Today is Monday, April the 18th, and it's about 7 o'clock. So we're going through a nasty storm over here in the DMV area, guys. And you guys that live locally know exactly what I'm talking about. So if you hear some ambiance, rain noises, and things like that, just vibe with me. Just chill with me because I've been waiting a minute to record. This has been going on all day, and I was just hoping that it passed by, but it doesn't seem to be passing by anytime soon. So we're going to go ahead and get all this content out, as I promise you guys, all the time over here at the Bleeding BMG Podcast. So if you're checking us out on YouTube, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. I appreciate all you guys with your interactions on YouTube. We just crossed over 200 subscribers, so I appreciate you guys all that. We're 20% all the way. We're 20 to 1,000. That's the ultimate goal. Well, the ultimate goal is 100,000, but that's our small short-term goal is to get 1,000 subscribers. So if you guys can help reach a, help us reach that platform and that goal, we would greatly appreciate it. Be sure to check us out over on uh, my guy Nadi's platform over on DMZ Sports Zone. We did an episode last week on his command center, his weekly um, chat with, um, you know, Washington con uh, Commander content creators and things like that. So I appeared on that episode. Be sure to check that out. And we have some fire things coming out on the Rambling About Washington um page over there with my guy Rio Washington, um, one of the best pages, um, Washington Commander pages over on YouTube, if we're being honest. Um, so last week, we actually did our Sauce versus Stingley video, and then we actually have some amazing content coming out within the next couple of hours, if I'm being honest. So be sure to check that out. And like I said, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe, especially um, because we're available on all podcast platforms. So if you're checking us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to rate, review, um, and let's finesse these algorithms so that, you know, bleed and B&G is the number one thing that comes up when you're searching um, anything Washington Commanders. But let's get into this talk. So as I said, the title of this episode is, Does Washington Go Defense at 11? And as we get closer to the draft, I honestly think they might. I know a lot of the talk amongst the Washington Commanders community is that, you know, we need a receiver. We need a receiver. We need to be more dynamic. We need more weapons on offense. We need to give Carson all the weapons that he can he can have to succeed and things like that. And while I completely understand it, I don't disagree by any means, guys. I agree with you guys 100%. I just think with this regime's draft history, we got to think that, you know, not only Coach Rivera, but these are guys that have worked together before. Uh, Marty Herney, um has worked with Coach Rivera also um, as Martin Mayhew have. So these guys have had a draft history um, and showed us what they what they have liked before, what kind of traits they've liked in players, um, what kind of positions they hold in high priority, um, what kind of positions they ho don't hold in such high priority. And I think that the wide receiver position, while they, they do want to add one and they do want to come out with one out of this um, – you know, this draft, I think they do want to come out of this draft with a receiver. I don't think that they necessarily think that they need to come out with one at 11. So I honestly think that as we get closer to the draft, the draft is 10 days away, guys. So we're getting close to single-digit countdown um, days to the draft. But the draft is 10 days away, and I'm very excited. But I wanted to specifically talk about two prospects today. Two prospects today because if Washington does, does go defense at 11, I think that these are the two prospects that I think that I would 
Honestly, I, I one of these guys may may be off the board. I honestly see, do see a scenario where both of these guys are off the board. But if a receiver is taken and there's a receiver that we just don't like, um, that means that a, a maybe a couple of receivers were taken in the top ten. Maybe a quarterback, maybe a run on the offensive tackles and the edge rushers that push these two guys down. And the two guys that I wanted to talk about today are cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU, Louisiana State University. And safety, Cal Hamilton, um, the freakish safety out of Notre Dame. So I'm essentially talking about two defensive backs, one playing cornerback and one playing safety. Uh, but we'll get into this, guys. These, these are guys that preach and these are guys that exude that positional flex and that positional versatility that, you know, Coach Ron Rivera really harps on. And we're also going to be doing um, our mock draft 3.0. So we're going to be doing our second rendition of the mock draft on the podcast, but our third uh, edition of the Bleed and B&G mock draft for the 2022 season. So we're actually be going doing a breakdown of that at the end of the podcast. So like I said, not a long-winded episode. We're going to touch base on these two defensive studs and two guys that I think can make instant impact for Washington if we do decide to go uh, defense at 11 with our first overall pick in round one. Um, and then we're going to talk, touch on the mock draft, and then I'm going to get you guys going. Um, so thank you guys in for tuning into another episode of the Bleeding BNG podcast. And now let's get into the let's get into this debate, man. Like I said, I, I know a lot of people in the Washington Commanders community they want a receiver. You know, we've talked about that, and that's a reason why we did the you know the wide receiver ranking so early in our draft coverage because I honestly think that there is a scenario where we may go wide receiver. And if you guys don't know what episode I'm talking about, be sure to turn into tune into episode 49 of the uh, Bleeding BNG podcast, where we ranked our top five wide receivers among, you know, our opinion for the top five wide receivers amongst the 2022 draft class. Um, and we gave reasons why um, a couple of those guys may be interested in Washington, or Washington may be interested in those guys. So be sure to check that episode out. But today we're talking all defense. We're talking all defense, and I'm talking about DBs. You know, I love talking about DBs. That's the position I played in football. And, you know, DBs is one of, you know, the hardest positions to play, whether that be cornerback or safety, because you have, you know, world-renowned athletes, you know, exceptional athletes running at you at full speed when you got to play backwards and you got to cover them the length of the field. It's really it's really a, a, a task. So having, you know, generational talents or special DBs in the draft, you need to, you know, pluck them up whenever you can. I'm a big, big advocate for the best player available model, and I think that if either one of these players is available at 11, outside of a guy like Garrett Wilson, he's the only receiver that I may consider over these two guys. But if he's off the board, which I think he may be because I'm hearing teams like Atlanta likes him a lot. Um, but if, he, if Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver from Ohio State, if he's off the board, um, that's meaning that, that means that one of these um, prospects is on the board at 11. And I think that we should run to the podium for either of these prospects. So let's get into these prospects. So let's first touch on Derek Stingley Jr. and why I think he can be an exceptional pick for the Washington Commanders. Guys, honestly, this is a guy where if, if he's drafted at 11, that draft night, he'll automatically be your most talented cornerback. And the reason that I say that, and you guys know we're big, we're big believers in William Jackson the third. And while he had a rough season last year, I'm uh, we know that they weren't playing him to his strengths. This is a guy who's a press man corner, who you were playing, you know, eleven yards off to the receiver. It wasn't making any sense. And you know, th th what concerned me about the William Jackson thing is these things were picked up in training camp, and you know, it never really seemed to turn around until later in the season. And then he started to battle injuries and things like that. 
COVID and things like that. So William Jackson the third didn't have an ideal start to his, you know, career here in Washington. But, you know, while I think he is talented in, you know, that press corner role, I think he is limited to that role. And Derek Stingley Jr. is a guy that's scheme versatile. He can give it to you any which way. He can give it to you traveling with your number one receiver, playing man-to-man, or he can play zone. And he's shown the capability to do both. And we're, if go like I said, like I mentioned previously, I just did a Sauce Gardner versus Derek Stingley episode with my guy Rio Robinson over in the Rambling About Washington podcast, or the Rambling with Rio podcast, excuse me. And while I'm I'm not, I, I'll, I'll admit, guys, this isn't a who's going to be drafted first thing or things like that. I honestly think that Sauce Gardner is the first cornerback that's going to be taken off the board. I think that he's CB1 amongst most NFL circles and amongst draft draft analysts and things like that. But, you know, I, I trust my eyes and I trust, you know, my evaluation in defensive backs specifically. And Derek Stanley Jr. is my number one cornerback. I think that he is the true generational talent at cornerback in this draft class. And I, and I I, look, I think if we look a couple of years down the line, he's going to be the best cornerback coming out of this draft. And these things happen all the time. This is the, these things happen all the time, specifically with the defensive back, um, you know, position. I, th- I think back to a, like the draft in like 2013, where you go back with two Mississippi State corners and Jonathan Banks, who was a six-two freak. He, he was built kind of similar to, to Sauce Gardner coming out of Mississippi State. He was drafted higher higher than De- his teammate Darius Slade. Junior just simply off share athleticism. Uh, I mean, I said Derek Stingley Junior. Drafted higher than his teammate Darius Slade Junior. Um, just based off share athleticism and things like that. Now you look nine years later, and Darius Slade is coming off a couple of All Pro years, a couple of Pro Bowl years, and Jonathan Banks hasn't been in the league in about four years. So this misevaluation happens all the time with the defensive back position because, and I think it has to do honestly with we fall in love with a lot of a lot of the physical traits. At the, at the defensive back position, specifically the cornerback position, and we tend to ignore that this is a technique-based position. The foundation of the cornerback position is, re- is revolved around your technique and your skill set. I don't care how good of an athlete you are. If you have bad technique, you're going to be exposed time in and time out. And we've seen it over and over again. We see guys that run 4-3 that are out the league in four years just because simply they can't check anybody. They can't check a, a 4 6 Slot receiver, they can't check a 4-8 tight end just simply because of their poor technique. And the reason why I'm so high on Derek Stanley Jr. is because in 2019, granted, this is a couple of years ago, and I'm, I, I'm well aware of that. But this is a guy that had some of the best freshman, true freshman tape in the history of football. And that is not high hyperbole. In the history of football, however long the game of football has been around, what, what 150 years, going back to college football, this is a guy in Derrick Stanley Jr. that in 2019 had some of the best true freshman tape in the history of the sport of football. That is not how I probably to say at all. This is a guy who has six interceptions locking up the best wide receivers in the SEC. Some of these wide receivers that are dominant in the NFL today, this is a guy who locked them up as an 18-year-old. And I think we have seen them forget that. I think we have seen them forget that because... I'm trying to, I, 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 I honestly don't see uh, where he isn't cornerback one. Like, like I, get, I get the Sauce Gardner hype because, you know, he didn't allow a touchdown in the AAC. Dude, that was the AAC. This is the guy that locked up the likes of Jerry Judy, the likes of Jalen Waddle. And I wouldn't say he locked up Devontae Smith, and we're going to get, in, 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 um, we're going to get into that later in the episode. 
But like I said, this is a Derek Stingley Jr. versus Cal Hamilton episode. And like this is a guy, Derek Stingley, where he'll give you the, the ability to play press man all game if you want to do that. He'll give you the, the ability to play zone all game with a guy like Kendall Fuller because you have to play zone with a guy like Kendall Fuller due to his limited athleticism and things like that. He'll allow you to do that. This is a guy that can play boundary. This is a guy who I prefer him for Washington opposed to a guy like Sauce Gardner is because Sauce has to play strictly on the boundary. So then what are you doing with a guy like Benjamin St. Juice, who you spent a pretty high draft capital on last year with a third-round draft pick? But if you bring in a guy like Derek Stanley, this is a guy that you can kick into the slot and have him play there for a year as you begin to phase some of these DBs out. And in terms of Washington... And I made a tweet about this a couple of days ago. And I was pleasantly surprised to see a lot of people agree with me as well. I think that Derek Stingley Jr. has champ Bailey potential. Champ Bailey is the best cornerback in this franchise history outside of a guy like Doug Green. But Doug Green is an anomaly. He's 5'8". He's a guy who's wearing a 4'140". So there's not really many guys that you can compare to Doug Green. But in terms of physical tool set and things like that, Champ Bailey was a freak. Chambelli was a freak, and he's obviously our last Hall of Fame caliber player that we had in this franchise, if I'm being honest, outside of London Fletcher, but we didn't bring him in originally. And Derek, this is the guy, Derek Stigley, like I said, he, ha he, he, he has that type of potential. This is a dog. This is, like I said, he has six interceptions as, as, a, um, as, a, uh, as a freshman. I mentioned some of the SEC wide receivers that he locked up as a freshman. Those were guys in, in the league. I, I failed to mention how there were reports and numerous reports, various reports, not by one source, not by one 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 news outlet. There were numerous reports that said that Derek Stingley was locking up guys like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, the two best rookie wide receivers in the history of the NFL. On numbers, on numbers, you can debate a lot. You can't debate numbers. These are the guys that had the two most prolific rookie receiving yardage records as rookies in the NFL and this is a guy who Derek Stingley was reported to be locking him up as freshmen both of them respectively Jamar Chase and, and Justin Jefferson if you don't believe me google it so what do we think that, he, that the talent just zapped we think he just touched what a Space Jam style football and his talent just went away no this is a guy and I will admit this is a guy that hasn't reached that 2019 peak since but there's myths going around during draft season. And I'll touch on a couple of myths when I talk about a guy like Kyle Hamilton as well. But there's myths like, uh, like this guy Derek Stingley has had two years of bad tape. That is 100% not true. That is 100% not true. Yeah, this is a guy whose tape has, hasn't been as good as his 2019 tape. But to say that he's had the last two years of bad tape is incorrect. Yes, he's coming off injuries. That is, uh, and I'm extremely concerned of a cornerback coming off of a Liz Frank injury because you, DBs use their feet more than any other uh, body part in the in the um, in the anatomy system. Excuse me, but no, th that that is a myth that he's had two years of bad film. Yes, he was torched by Devontae Smith last year in the 2020 season. But guess what? Devontae Smith had arguably the most historic receiving. Um, season in college football history. Who wasn't torched by Devontae Smith? Ask yourself that. And ask yourself if a guy like Charles Gardner was stepped into that position, would he have been torched by Devontae Smith? Let me go ahead and answer that for you. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. And go back and look at that film because a lot of guys, I'm looking at these evaluations, they don't come with a lot of context. And I'm not saying, and then I'm, this is not an excuse. It's the truth, though. One of those touchdowns that Derek Stingley gave against Devontae Smith was a mental last where he was looking over to the sideline and, and um, Alabama hit him with a quick snap. So was he was he essentially beat physically on that play? I don't think so. And then a lot of those um, catches coming throughout the rest of the game, even though there were a lot, all of those were contested. Devontae Smith was just a better man that day, as he was week in and week out every Saturday during the 2020 season. And while I will admit, I think that Derek Stingley Jr. bought into a lot of his hype, rightfully so. And I'm not saying it's the best thing, but when you have some of the best freshman tape in the history of football, I would have bought him up to my hype too. So hopefully he has matured. And when I say brought into a lot of the hype, I don't think that his technique was as refined as it has what as it was during his freshman year, throughout the last two years. And I do think that he uh, picked up a lot of weight. I made this point on the um, on the uh, episode I did with Naughty. I actually thought that he actually bought into the hype that he wanted to be Patrick Peters. You guys know the history and the tradition behind the number seven at at LSU. With a, a, a lot of players, but it's, it has a king tradition with, you know, LSU DBs. Think of guys like Patrick Peterson. Think of guys like Grant Delpit. Think of guys like Tyron Matthew. So there's history behind that number. And, you know, they gave Derek Stingley the number seven, and he brought it to his whole height. But I honestly think that he wanted to be Patrick Peterson because, he you know, he had the closest measurables to a guy like him. This is a guy who plays at around 6'1", and he weighed in the combine around 195. I think he um, weighed around his pro day, at the same, uh, pro day at the same weight. But I honestly think he played too heavy in 2008, uh, 2020 and 2021. I think he played around 210, and I think that he can, if he can get down to around 205, where his speed is top tier, running a 4.37 at his pro day, which may transition to maybe like a 4.4 flat if we're doing official time, which is elite. Which is elite. This isn't a small guy by any means. This is a guy that can be physical with you. Can play press man. Can jam you up at the line. Despite his short arm length. Because his technique is that elite. If I'm giving him pro comps. I have three pro comps right now for Derek Stingley Jr. Marshawn Lattimore. Souped up Denzel Ward. And Stephon Gilmore when he's at the absolute top of his game. When his technique is tip top. I think you can do pretty well at the, with that with those three guys at the 11th pick. Now going on to Kyle Hamilton, the 6'4", joker type, freak type, monster back type, money back type, whatever you want to call him. This is a guy that has the potential to revolutionize football because I don't know what position he plays. Yeah, he's listed as a safety. I don't even know what, what safety position he plays or what safety position best suits him. Because at 6'4", 220, when you hit those measurables, that screams strong safety. But this is a guy with impeccable instincts and impeccable range that he can play the free safety role. Now, while I wouldn't put him there, you know, playing single high throughout the entire game or things like that, he can do it. And you're fooling yourselves if you're saying that he can't do it with, um, with maybe 10 snaps a game. You're fooling yourself if you're saying that. Now, the knock on the Kyle, Kyle Hamilton, and I told you I was going to touch on this myth, is that, you know, he's not a good athlete because he ran a 4-5-9-40. But let's look at it in comparison to the best deep ball defender in the history of football in Ed Reed. 
Cal Hamilton is about five inches taller than Ed Reed and about 15 pounds heavier and ran a 0.2 second slower official 40 than the best deep ball defender in the history of football at Ed Reed. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm confused as to why everybody wants to harp on this rumored 4-7. Rumored hasn't been confirmed by anybody 4-7-40 time of his pro day. And the myth is that he's a poor athlete. No, this is a guy with a 6-9-3 cone at 6'4", 220 pounds. That sounds like a pretty damn good athlete to me. That sounds like a pretty damn good athlete to me. With a 4.32 shuttle, short shuttle. So this shows you that he can change the directions. Those numbers are more important than a 40-yard dash at the safety position. Safety is a little more important at the cornerback. I mean, speed is a little more important at the cornerback position than the safety position. This is a guy who in his first college football snap, not series, not possession, not draft, in his first play on the college football field, pick six interception. I've heard a lot of talk talk about, oh, you don't want to draft a box safety in a limited role. Or what, what, what do we think that this, what, the defense doesn't know what to do with Jamin? What do you think they're going to do with a guy that plays 13 positions? Well, guess what? They found out what to do in the second half of the season with Landon Collins, and he was honestly one of our best defenders throughout the second half of the season. You're a fool if you, if you don't believe that. Well, guess what? Get you a younger, taller, bigger, faster, stronger version of that player, more instinctual version, better in coverage version of that player, and have one of the better players from your defense times two. We know as Washington Commander fans, Washington Redskins fans, Washington football team fans, whatever team you want to name it, we can't cover tight ends. This is a guy that's a tight end eraser. Travis Kelsey, I bet you Travis Kelsey won't have a, a Travis Kelsey type day against a guy like Cal Hamilton. George Kittle, whoever you want to name it. And like I told you, I think that he's best in a too high role. Maybe playing, you know, um, in a too high safety role, in a cover two base maybe which I think we play a lot of, which we were forced to play a lot of last year when we were playing Landon Collins and Cam Curl in the backfield at times, trying to keep Landon Collins happy. I don't think this is a guy that comes with the ego that, that Landon Collins had. This is a guy that's going to be willing to play that, you know, money backer position because he played it in college and he played it ex exceptionally well. We're talking about Derek Stingley Jr. and Cal Hamilton. These are guys that were both top 15 recruits in the country uh, out of high school. So the pedigree is there, and this is the, something. This is a trend that I've seen throughout years in the draft cop and the draft process and things like that. Guys that have been good forever, we tend to try to start picking holes in them, and then they come to the NFL, and then we're surprised that they're good again. No, the pedigree is there. Derek Stanley comes from an NFL pipeline, with his grandfather playing, his father being in an arena football, and like I told you, Kyle Hamilton was just, has just been a stud since we've heard him. In high school, he was a stud. In Notre Dame, he was a stud. So what you think he's going to be in the NFL? A stud. And I know it don't always work out that way. It's going to work out for him. Mark my words. Mark my words. And I know a lot of people in the Washington Commanders community um, want to compare him to Sean Taylor. And I don't, I don't necessarily see that. And I'm not saying that he can't reach that level of player. I just don't see it in the play style. My best call for Kyle Hamilton is he's a mix between 
both of the Legion of Boom safeties. He's Earl Thomas in Cam Chancellor's body. Where he doesn't necessarily be in the type of physicality that Cam Chancellor bought. He's not as he's not as thick. He's a little taller at 6'4. I think Cam was 6'3. But the instincts and the range and things like that, despite this 4 to 540. Go look at some of the range and let me know if you see 4740 in his in his tape. And I know a lot of people like to talk back to the Florida State um, game. No, he had range like that in almost every game. In and outside of the box. That's what gets me so excited. And that's why I say he has the capability of revolutionizing football. He has sideline and sideline speed in the box. And he has over-the-top range when defending the deep half and the deep thirds. And he's an exceptional flat defender. And he's somebody that allows you to not draft, you know, a middle linebacker as high because... Honestly, we only use two linebackers. While I do think linebackers are lead, we use three safeties more than we use two linebackers. So he'll fill that Buffalo nickel position while allowing you to keep Jamin Damon and Cole Holcomb on the field, which is speed galore. So let me know what you guys think between you know those two defensive prospects because I wouldn't mind either. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm running to the podium if either one of those guys are already loving. While I may think that Kyle Hamilton is the better player, all-around player, I'm kind of leaning Derek Stingley Jr. as far as positional value because generational shutdown corners aren't walking on trees. This is the guy that can travel and lock up CD line. While he didn't do it before, but this is the guy who I think can travel and lock up a guy like Devontae Smith. The Giants don't really have a corner that you need, I mean a receiver that you need to travel with. They suck. But I think in terms of, you know, priorities on a championship winning team, I think shutdown corner is a little more important, even though scheme, scheme, versatile, dependent, money backer types like Isaiah Simmons, they have a role in today's NFL where it's less physical and it's more of a passing game. And matchups, matchups I look for at a premium. I think that that position is valued a little less than elite generational shutdown corners, which I think a guy like Derek Stingley Jr. can be. So let me got, let me know what you guys think in the comments. Uh, I would love to have this discussion because, like I said, I don't mind either player at 11. But in terms of watching it, I think that I may lean Derek Stingley Jr. because we don't have that true shutdown number one corner. Um, and he allows you to do a lot. But Kyle Hamilton, an amazing prospect as well. I'll be just as giddy um, if he's the pick at 11 as well. All right, so let's run through this mock draft really quickly. Mock draft 3.0, mock draft 2.0 for the podcast. Uh, and, yeah, I think that we had a good haul in this mock draft. Um, so just to let you guys know before we run down these picks, uh, in this mock draft, we use the Pro Football Network Draft Simulator, which allows us to do trades. So in the second round, we were projected the offer by the Buffalo Bills where they were trading us our 57th and 89th pick or their 57th and 89th pick for our 47th and um, 189th pick. So I essentially looked at it as you're moving 10 spots down to gain 100 spots with that second pick. 
Um, so I took the deal. I took the deal. So that allowed us to have, you know, six picks coming out of the draft instead of the five that we're pegged to have right now. Um, so we have, um, in terms of my haul, we ended up with the 11th pick, the 57th pick, the 89th, the 113th, the 230th, and the 240th. So we ended up with six players out of the draft. Um, and let's run down these players really quickly. I'm going to go ahead and get you guys out. So at number 11, we took Derek Stingley Jr., I'm um, not going to do too much a rundown of the uh, player uh, because we've been talking about him all episode. I think yeah, he has elite generational cornerback type of uh, talent. Uh, in this scenario, both Jamison Williams and Garrett Wilson were off the board and Kyle Hamilton. So there were a couple of offensive tackles um, that we expect to be drafted in the top 10 that were still on the board. Um, and I don't think that was a pressing need for Washington. We just signed Charles Leno to an extension. Um, but guys like Chris Olave were on the board. And like I said, I'm taking Derek Stingley Jr. over a guy like Chris Olave all day. Um, so uh, Chris Olave was still on the board. James uh, Jermaine Johnson was still on the board. Um, so there were some pretty good players at 11. But I think in terms of need and talent, Derek Stingley Jr. was the best fit there. At 57, we uh, selected tight end Trey McBride out of Colorado State. 6'5", 260-pound beast. This is a guy that can be your potential move tight end. And I also think he can give you some, um, you know, some potential as an inline blocker as well. And give you a lot of versatility in the future with a guy like John Bates. Um, while he's a better athlete than John Bates, they have nearly similar frames. Um, so if he can, you know, work in the same room with a guy like John Bates, who is an exceptional run blocker and has very good technique um, as a rookie and as a young guy playing a tight end position, uh, I think that he has the frame, he has the size. And while I don't think he's a plus blocker right now i think that you know working with you know his tight ends coach uh i know p hayner is not there anymore but working with um lewis castillo castillo uh, and working with a guy like john base john base was an exceptional blocker last year guys that was a very underrated part of his game that we didn't really talk about a lot and then working with a guy like logan thomas um as i meant as i didn't mention at the beginning of this episode washington started their you know weightlifting program that portion of the otas um uh, today and it looked like wait, it looked like Logan Thomas was active. It looked like Logan Thomas was participating. I didn't necessarily need, see a knee brace, and while I'm not expecting him to participate in many in training camps, maybe he's um, able to contribute earlier than expected. So at 57, we took a guy like Trey McBride, um, a beast tight end coming out of Colorado State. At 89, we took Justin Ross, wide receiver out of Clemson. Um, and this is a guy that we heard, like I said, the same thing with Derek Stingley and then a guy like, you know, we're big advocates for George Pickens. These are guys that exploded on the college football scenes as 18-year-olds, as, as true freshmen. This is a guy that had near, damn near 1,900 yards and 17 touchdowns in his first two years at Clemson. So this is a guy that came in and produced um, almost right away, instantly, was one of Trevor Lawrence's favorite targets. Um, and his time in there. But he also produced with a guy like Kelly Bryant. I go back and I look at everything. I look at everything over here at Bleeding B&G. Um, but then he had his fair share of injuries. In 2020, it was discovered that he had a spinal injury that he needed to get surgery on. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't determined if he was ever going to play football again. Um, and he bounced back. Um, I think he also had a lower leg injury that he suffered in one of the college football playoff games as well. I can't remember the exact injury, but I think that zapped uh, some of his speed. Um 
early in his days at you know um, Clemson, it was projected that he was going to be a first round draft pick, almost a shoe in. And a lot of people were comparing him to AJ Green. And while he still has that same frame, you know, turning in a, a four six three forty and having a, a thirty one inch vertical jump, those aren't ideal athletic numbers. But this is a guy that can give you extreme value as a you know a possession receiver. This is a guy that knows how to use his body and his wingspan really well. Um, like I said, he has that AJ um, Green type frame. He's a little thicker, but they have those long wingspans. Um, this is a guy who's a pretty good route runner. Um, a lot of I know a lot of people have said that his route running is you know. Not refined and things like that. I honestly think that they're saying that because he's not as fast as he once was. Um, because when he when he was brought into Clemson initially, Rob running one wasn't an issue, especially being six four. Um, so this is a guy you compare him with Terry, and you know he gives you something that you don't necessarily have outside of a guy like Cam Sims, who we don't seem to have a lot of faith in as you know a coaching staff as as a regime. Um, so um, and like I said, I love guys that produce the college football players. Guys that produce as college football players are more than likely going to produce as NFL football players rather than a project that didn't really do nothing in college. And 113, linebacker Damon Clark out of LSU. So we took two guys off of a, a not-so-great LSU defense where they weren't so great in the last couple of years. They were exceptional in 2019. Um, so I don't know how the prospects of that uh, feels, but, hey, they, 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 they meet two needs. They meet two knees. Damon Clark is a 6'4", 240-pound linebacker, and I think he's one of the few true middle linebackers in this class. This is a guy that ran 4'5 at the combine, despite, you know, them finding, you know, a spinal neck injury that he uh, has been playing with throughout his college career. So Damon Clark is likely to miss his um, rookie year. And like I said, with the scheme like we have, we we've shown an ineptitude or uh you know uh aptitude of playing three safeties over two linebackers you may be able to you know have a red shirt year with a guy like damon clark um because like i said he's one of the true the few true true inside linebackers middle linebacker off ball middle linebackers in this class four three type middle linebackers in this class outside of a guy like you know, Devin Lloyd, I think, can play that. Um, Leo Chanel, I think, can play that. Chad Moon, I think, can play that a little bit. Um, and then Damon Clark is right there. He's not as talented as those guys I mentioned earlier. Um, but as far as size, um, and, and he's not as productive as those guys I mentioned. But as far as just sheer talent and size, this is a height, weight, speed specimen. Like I said, 6'4", 240 pounds. He's played under guys like Devin White. He's played under guys like um, Patrick Kane and Jabril Cox. So he's had experience sitting under NFL um, ready type linebackers. And while his film wasn't the best in 2021, I think a lot of that may be, doing, may be you know, has to do with that spinal injury that they found later in the season. Because I didn't see him as aggressive as he was early in his college career. And he might have been feeling that neck pain. Shoot, if my neck hurts, I'm not going to be going in Berlin in 230, 220 pound running backs as I used to when it didn't. So maybe that, maybe that's, you know, maybe that injury lined up with some of the film that I've been watching ever since, you know, that his name has been coming up in draft circles. But I think that he can, if he hits, I think that he can be a really good um, pick. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Keenan Robinson, um, who wasn't great as a Washington um, Redskin, but I think he was misused a lot, as we tend to do. So if we use the guy like Keenan Robinson or a guy like Damon Clark in the right position, um, I think that, you know, we may have a player there. Um, and, you know, this is the crapshoot at the 113th pick. To round out um, the 230th, 
And 240th pick, we took cornerback uh, Kalon Barnes, who ran the fastest 40 uh, at this year's combine with a 423. Uh, this has got six feet, 186 pounds. Uh, I think his technique is a little unrefined, but with that type of speed, um, he allows you a couple of missteps. I think that if he's, he's coached up, this is a guy to contribute on special teams as a gunner. Um, and with that speed, you may want to even try your hand as a return man as well. While I haven't seen him do as much of that, a guy like Bo Milton, Bo Milton out of Rutgers, 5'11", has done it. And he has 4'3", speed. So with these last two picks, you've gotten faster um, if you've got position of need. So you do get your wide receiver. Um, you got get you get a couple wide receivers coming out of the draft. Um, but, you know, their fair share of variety of skill sets. You get a big um, possession receiver in Justin Ross and then hopefully a guy like Bo Melton who is extremely good value at 240 because of what he can give you in the return game. And he had better film in 2020. I actually think if he came out after 2020, he might have been a fourth or fifth round pick. And I honestly think he may still go there um, with some of his explosive numbers that he posted at the Combine. Um, going along with that 2020 film, I think that you might have a real um, player with a guy like Bo Melton at 240. So let me know how you guys feel about my draft um if you're checking this out on youtube i'll be sure to post a screenshot of the draft so you can go ahead and check it out um but i'm really curious to see how you guys feel about this Derek stingley versus kyle hamilton debate if we do go defense at 11 i know wide receiver um a lot of you guys in the community are really harping on wide receiver but in terms of this debate let's just say we do go defense Derek stingley jr or kyle hamilton let us know your pick and thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Bleeding BNG Podcast. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Like I said, we just went over 200 subscribers. Thank you guys for the subscriptions. Keep tuning in. The draft is 10 days away. And if you haven't, be sure to follow our social media pages. Our first one is at Bleeding BNG. That's B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G-B-N-G. That's our Instagram. Our Twitter handle is spelled a tad bit different. With one G, so that's at Bleeding BNG, B L E E D I N B N G. So that's for our Twitter handle. Daily content, daily discussions um, over there on those forums. I love communicating over there on those social media platforms. So be sure to check us out over there. And thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Bleeding BNG Podcast. The, pep, the, the draft is here, guys. I hope you guys are excited as me. Um, a lot of content is going to be pushed out over these um, next 10 days. So be sure to check us out. And I'll be checking in with you guys later. Peace.